0: Hey guys, what's up? It's Matt, host of the Finding Strength podcast. want to give you a quick intro before we start the first episode. had a great time recording with Bethany. She is amazing and vulnerable and real and raw, and I think you're going to be really happy with what came out. Quick caveat as well. The audio is mediocre at best. <laughs> We're still working on it we'll get better in time just stick around we've got a lot of great things coming up I really really hope you enjoy this episode and we want to hear your feedback also if you can go on to iTunes when you're done reading or excuse me listening to this and give it a 5 star review we could really use that the more notoriety the more shares we get the quicker up the ladder we'll go and the more people we can help and that's what we're all about on that note here it is, the first episode of the Finding Strength Podcast. Welcome. This is the Finding Strength Podcast. Glad you could join us. I'm here with my co host, Bethany Tenney. We're here today <laughs> to show you guys what we're all about, how this is going to work, what we're.
1: We're gonna change the world <laughs> right <laughs>
0: Something like that I don't know what we're gonna do we're gonna do something though hopefully you guys out there to hear and give us feedback and help us understand what you want to hear Because we're hoping to do this pretty frequently right
1: yeah
0: yeah weekly. all sorts
1: of situations and people
0: yeah it's gonna be really cool I hope I hope I'm pretty sure you're pretty rad so I think we'll make it <laughs> yeah it's gonna be great so my name is Matt quack much sure you don't know me um, I am a social worker, I've worked in the social work industry for quite a while now. I've been a uh, so-called do-gooder for oh, like 12 years and for the last four years I've been a therapist. Um, I'm a clinician, I work at Deer Hall Recovery in Draper, Utah. My specialization is in post-traumatic stress disorder, addiction, family issues, relationships. I have a lot of experience in working with families, a lot of experience in working with difficult things, subjects, (laughs) grief, loss, and today's subject, The hardest
1: things in the world, right there. I'm Bethany Tenney, and I am the mother of six kids. Me and my husband own Tenney's Pizza together, and we started a foundation called Brighten a Day after our daughter passed away.
0: Today... We're going to do something um, a little different than we hope to do in the future. In the future, we hope to have a guest. Not every single week. I'm sure it'll just be me and Bethany sometimes, but mostly it'll, Bethany and I will co-host this podcast together. We're going to ask a bunch of questions. We're going to hopefully dig deep into some difficult subjects, which might seem taboo. Uh, today's topic, like I mentioned earlier, suffering. Bethany's gonna be kind of the guest, more or less, but still, just kind of tell her story, and, and we'll
1: be able to learn about people, and yeah. how they work. I think everyone goes day to day, and you think, you know, they smile and move along, and they seem great and happy, and you really don't understand what's actually going on and what they're struggling with, every yeah. day
0: Yeah, and I, I think the biggest thing is that's something that every one of us definitely struggles with day in and day out. I know I do. I struggle with. Just being authentic and real and showing up when things are hard. Yeah. When the moments of suffering show up and I have to show up, that sucks. And that's hard. And I I struggle with that.
1: Yeah. I don't always do it either. Yeah. Um, So I guess we can go into my story just to let people know a little bit. Um, Some people probably have heard of our story, but we have six kids and our fifth out of six, her name was Brighton, and two and a half years ago, in January, she passed away. Um, so this is, I told Matt, this will be my emotional, I hope I don't get emotional every time, but, um, that was, that was hard. That was by far the worst day of my life. Um, so, for one, um, she stopped breathing in my arms, driving to the hospital, and she just wasn't breathing for like 20 minutes. So, I um, got her to a hospital. I had to call 911 and um, life flighted her to Primary Children's. So I'm sure you know this. My story is not the only one like this. And once we got there, we were there for about three days, running tests, doing things, checking, how's everything going, you know, the constant awful of dealing with a child that's had a trauma or that's died. I mean, she died in my arms. And then once we got to the hospital, they revived her. But after three days in the hospital, she She died. It's they still don't know I mean she had pneumonia and we didn't know that but it was a it was a crazy unexplainable warning of everything was normal for three days of kind of in a coma and then all of a sudden just everything went to crap and anyways I I think the point is going through that those three days, I mean it's been two and a half years and I still Flashbacks and you know, constantly dealing with it and how um, it's affected every aspect of, aspect of my life. You know how? Um, yeah, yeah. Nothing. I mean, I mean, obviously, I still can't even mention that night or that morning was five o'clock in the morning um, without getting emotional because it was so awful. And since then, I've seen. You know, other moms go through similar things and it's heartbreaking and it brings it all back every time because I just know in a sense of what they're feeling and some of the things that they're going to go through over the next span of time.
0: The thing that's most incredible about your story, in my opinion, is that you were able to take sadness... And tragedy and somehow find meaning in that and, and and this isn't the first sadness or tragedy you've experienced right this is not the first trauma you've experience even as even as a young girl
1: yeah you I, I, when I was growing up my mom when I was 12 died of cancer and I came from a family of ten kids and my dad had all of us to deal with only a couple of my siblings were adults and the rest were home. Um, so yeah, I think it was different. And I think that's what I some people have said to me, which there's so many cliché things that people say to you when you go through trauma that are it's hard. Yeah, questions like, on that. Yeah. yeah. You want to you want to smile and be like, "I know you're trying to help me," but at the same time you're like, "Oh, please don't say that." Yeah. Like I want to punch you in the face. Yeah. Sometimes.
0: A lot of the questions cause we we posted on Facebook today and, and on Instagram, a couple of different places like what questions do people want to ask you, right? And that was a question that came up a few times, which was like, when someone is suffering as bad as it gets, right? You lose a child, you lose a mother, you lose something. what? How can anyone come to you and, and even provide comfort? What are questions that are appropriate? What are questions that are inappropriate? What, what for you, what, what, what helped, what didn't help?
1: So I would say both of my situations are different. When my mom died, I was looking for anything... Sure. And yet nothing, because I wanted a reason. I wanted, you know, it's like we have ten kids. My mom's gone, and I barely know my dad, so this is awkward now. But I, I so I wanted a reason. But at the same time, I kind of. What do you mean
0: a reason? Sorry, I, I
1: wanted. I wanted there to be like, okay, she died because of this. You wanted she a why behind yeah,
0: her loss.
1: This happened because you're all going to be better. You know, you're, it's going to bring, I, people would say to us all the time, 10 kids, and people would always be like, oh, you have such a close-knit family because your mom's gone. And uh, it's like, well, that sucks. Like, who wants to go through that to have a close-knit family? Uh, I'm sorry. I'd rather oh, be not close How do would need be that close to my siblings. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, so. <laughs> so, so that was, so I, and, but at the same time, I was 12, and so I was running from it. You know, constantly, like, avoiding it. Don't talk about it. Um, we didn't talk about it. Ever. So we literally brushed it aside. Um, My dad didn't talk about her. My siblings, we'd talk about her once a year at her grave on her birthday. And, or actually, it used to be on Christmas, and then it was on a birthday. Anyways, once a year, we'd talk about her. And we'd all sit and cry, like sobbing, crying, because it was the only time we talked about her. So that was a different situation. And with Brighton, with Brighton, I'd have people say things to me like, oh, she's in a better place. Oh, now she doesn't have to go through the trials of the world, of this world. have had that one. I had... I, I can't. So anything you've ever thought to say to someone, they, I've been said that, had someone say it to me.
0: So when people say those things to you, like... Okay. And, and so, context, I work with people. I'm a therapist for people in Brighton a Day, mm-hmm. right, who've lost children, and that one, that the first one that you said, remember what it was? She's
1: in a better place. She's in a better
0: place, is number one on the list of things people say and you that they shouldn't the say, right? So, you want to punch them in the face, they say that in the <laughs> moment, right? Like, how unhelpful is that statement?
1: Here's the thing, when, because you feel like, as a mother, as a parent, that your child is in the best place with you. Yeah. No one will love my child more than me. It's not physically possible. I was the one that carried her for nine months, that was up all night with her every night. I 100% took care of her. No one will love her like I love her. And so to me, the fact that someone says she's in a better place, it's like, there is no better place than with me. It's like, I, I realize this world can be hard, but it can also be awesome. So don't tell me that the next world or life or whatever you believe in is better. I don't want to hear it. So those kind of things are hard. I think one thing that's, I would say probably the best thing to say to someone who's lost someone significant in their life is I'm sorry and be there. And that's it. No explanation. No. What do you mean be there? Be there. Like come, show up. There was a lot of people, and I, we had amazing people surrounding us. Like, I, I do feel very blessed in a lot of ways. But there were definitely specific people in my life that came over day in, day out, and just were there. You know, they come in, my friends, my sister, they come in, sweep through my house, clean it up, take care of everything, and come sometimes and just sit by me and let me bitch and moan. Because that's all I wanted to do. I was angry. And I wanted to sit and say, this isn't fair. I'm mad. Life sucks. You know what I mean? I that's you, I don't want someone to fix it. You can't fix it. And I don't want someone to try to make me feel better. I wanted you to, someone to sit there and just let me cry. Let me whine. And they did. And it was awesome. And I think people are so scared of that. And I understand. Because I... I myself get nervous when I hear people, you know, losing someone on how to deal with it because I know how sensitive I was to the situation. But...
0: And, and isn't that the foundational kind of principle for Brian today? Yes. Isn't that what you guys do?
1: to help? Yes, because I think for me at the time when we lost a child, we didn't know how to deal with it. We didn't know how to navigate through it. Some of the best things for me were I had certain women reach out to me. I didn't know them. had never met them. Some I'd never even, I'd never even heard of them. And through Facebook, they sent me messages saying, I lost a child. Here's my story. I'm so sorry. You know? And it, it bonded us. Like, it made us have this immediate bond that we, we understood each other. And it was like, I, to those women, I could send a message and say, I hate life, and I'm mad, and I'm angry at God, and I'm angry at this, and it's not fair. And they were, it was a safe place for me.
0: What created, they, that, what created that safety?
1: Them sharing their story and some of their feelings.
0: Vulnerability mm-hmm. and being not judgmental.
1: Hundred like when I would say things negative things they'd say oh you're right yep I agree that's awful It's it sucks you know and sometimes that's all you want to hear you don't I think as human beings we want to fix each other for sure and I'm totally like that myself for I do sure. it with my kids I do it with and sometimes you can't fix it and so all you can do is sit there and let someone lash out one of my
0: favorite um, kind of phrase that pays that I use all the time is um, I ask if something is fixed or something needs to be fixed that implies that it is what? Broken. Broken. And so when we try to fix other people the inherent underlying message of that is you're broken and you need to be fixed. And so when people just sit with us right in the darkness, in the deepest darkest moments when we are suffering and they just sit next to us Mm -hmm. and they just say I don't even know what to say right now. Yeah, but I'm here. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And they hug us, and they feel with us. That's it's it.
1: And that, that's legitimately all you need, is someone to just be there. And I think there's been times since that experience. Since, I mean, honestly, the first year after Brighton died, I, I can't tell you much. I don't remember it was a fog of depression of doing things. You know, it was experiences that I I, I just don't even remember. I I remember trying to numb any way, anywhere I could mm-hmm. because I could not handle feeling so much all the time. It was exhausting. I remember going and trying to get sleeping pills and. Doing anything I could, you know, drinking anything that could make me not feel, and which it worked for me at the time, but that only lasts so long, and then you have to start to function. And it after the first year, I remember thinking, okay, I got through everything, I've done everything, you know, holidays, birthdays, I've I've done this all now. It's going to get easier, and it doesn't. It was so much harder. Year 2 of Angel's birthday, Christmas was harder. And I think maybe because I didn't anticipate it, but I I ended up basically, let's see, her she passed away in January 2016. That next October, 2017, I would consider I felt like I was having a nervous breakdown. I felt like I was just slowly, just downward spiral. Things were getting worse and worse and worse, and holidays were coming, which, you know, Halloween, when you have little kids, is the funnest thing in the world. When you don't, not so fun. And I think people don't recognize that. Thanksgiving is rough, because it's family time, and they're not there. Christmas, obviously, awful. So, for me, I mean the best thing that happened to me was going to therapy Mm -hmm. and seeking someone out thanks to you (laughs) and being able to once again I guess vent and say I'm angry and express all of my emotions that I possibly had ever had and be able to start to learn some tools on how to handle it no one teaches you how to deal with things in life no one teaches you that oh well when you You, your mom dies, or you know your child dies, or your family's falling apart. Here's how you handle it. Here's a book. That's not there. Right. And so, seeking help for me was above and beyond any, you know, drug, sleeping pill, anything I'd ever done that could actually help me to start moving through. Just sitting
0: across from someone else, pouring your soul out. Being incredibly vulnerable and having someone having someone look back at you and say, "I've been there. I understand. It's okay."
1: Well, and to have someone say to you, "I think for me, I felt like after a year, I needed to do better. I needed to yeah. function better. I yeah. should be a better mom by now. Right? I should be Fix a better spouse." There's something
0: wrong with you. The yeah. way you are now is not okay. You should be someplace else. You should be moving on. Yeah,
1: and because that's what everybody says, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. and I think people. Because everyone else has, and they should, it, life has to move on. It has to. And so for when everyone else has moved on, that's even harder on the person that can't move on. Moving on means that you are losing that person even more. And it's an awful feeling to think, well, if I move on, I'll forget. If I move on, I won't. She won't be. If she's not on my mind every day, all day, then she's not a part of me anymore. And that sucks. And so I think having someone sit across from me and say, you know, no, you're right. You should be pissed. And you, you can be as mad and as sad and whatever you want as long as you want. And everyone else can suck off because that's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Screw them. Because this is your journey and how you have to deal with it. And everybody's different. Yeah. And that's what I've learned. Like, I have other moms that I'm friends with that are amazing. And we all are going through the loss of a child. And we are all different. And how we handle it is different. And our relationships with our spouses are different. And our relationship with our kids are different. And so it's like, yes, we help each other. But we all need specific help alone as well. Which that's one thing, too, that has helped dramatically is with our foundation, we try to pull each other together. You know, when people have lost a child, we try to help each other. We lean on each other. We're there for each other. We, Kevin and I have gone out to dinner multiple times with people who have lost a child, and just they just want to talk about it, and they just want to cry, and we are more than willing to sit and cry with them. Because it's like, you know, I hate saying I get it, because I feel like I hate when someone tells me they understand, because they don't. Every relationship is different. Uh-huh. Every death is different. Every... And so I always tell them, I don't understand exactly what you're going through, but I understand loss and here's how I've dealt with it or how I want to help you deal with it.
0: Can someone who's never lost a child say that to you and you feel like their empathy for you?
1: Yeah. I feel like the people that have said to me, basically, I don't get it. Yeah. It's huge. I'm like, thank you.
0: Way better than, right? Like...
1: Please don't compare things to it. Yeah.
0: At least. Right? That's (laughs) the worst way to start out, like, a a moment of, like, trying to connect with somebody, right?
1: And it it happens all the time. I mean, I've I've had so many comparisons of certain either deaths or situations compared to losing a child, and I'm like, oh, please, please don't do that, because there is no comparison, and there's no comparison to me losing my child to another person losing their child. You don't know the situation or how they died or what spot they were in your family, you know. And it's just, it's always different. It doesn't make it worse. It doesn't make it better. It's just different. And that's, I think, what's, when people are trying to say things to you, when people are trying to give you these comments, you know, the going back to they're in a better place, they're in all these, they are trying to bond with you. And they just don't understand that it's not the right way
0: and the way we bond as human beings is through our common suffering Mm -hmm. and the suffering you experience and the suffering that I experience is very different however we both experience suffering when you look at the human experience everyone's life is so vastly different from here to Tibet right, and the Dalai Lama, somebody who we've been reading a lot about lately, yeah. his life is so vastly different than ours, or somebody in Japan or somebody in Africa, so different however, the one thing that binds all of us together, forever and always, is that we all will suffer
1: oh, it's when, when Bridie died the one thing I was looking for mm. was other people who had gone through something like I had because to me, I was like I didn't know anybody. I had never known, like, I shouldn't say never, but I didn't know anyone my age, I guess, or like in my situation.
0: So what I heard you just say was, in your darkest moment of suffering, the thing that brought you the most comfort and solace was knowing and understanding that other people suffer as you suffer. Yes. Yes. That's massive. When you think about that on a human level experience, right? What do we try and do all day long every day? Minimize the amount of suffering that we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. And we go around putting on a happy face, pretending to be something we're not. And what happens? We end up being the loneliest, most drug addicted, angry, isolated society that has ever been on the face of the planet. When in reality, the solution to this is just to drop our guard down for a minute. And look at the other person in the eyes and say, "Hey, I'm hurting too."
1: Yeah. Well, because some, I think it's it's uncomfortable. For sure. Like I know it. I know it was uncomfortable to be around me mm-hmm. for a long time because I was always unhappy. I was always sad. I was always bitter. All those things. And so, who, who wants to be around that?
0: Yeah. Nobody wants to be around someone who's in pain all the time when I can't even deal with my own pain. How am I supposed to take on somebody else's pain when I believe that I can't even handle my own pain? However, when I change my mindset and say, oh, wait, pain and suffering is not only part of life, it is life, and that's the way I find meaning.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm able to sit with somebody who's also suffering and understand them and look at them and feel with them rather than for them and things change you connect with people you bond right you bonded with these women in a way oh, that you've never bonded with anyone else they
1: these women will always have a special place in my heart always they still do i go to lunch with them you know des- pretty regularly i we have a connection that you cannot have with everybody it's it's different that's the best way to explain that and i think too you know with losing a child i think something that's that was different for me other than aside from losing my mom was the guilt that I you know when it's your child you are responsible for them Mm -hmm. they are you're the one that has to take care of them you're the one that's supposed to keep them safe and so when you don't it is the most awful gut-wrenching feeling like well what if I had done this what if you know for me I wouldn't over and over and over again. Well, what if we called 911 instead of driving me to the hospital? What if we had not stopped to do CPR and we drove, you know, sped to the hospital? What if I had taken her to the Instacare that night when it crossed my mind to do it? There's so many things, the what-ifs will wreck you. And when I've talked to these other moms and these other women, they... It's the same story and I look at them and I think oh my gosh you you're an amazing mom you're such a good mom you have great kids you did everything and I can tell someone I can say you did everything you could do but yet when it comes to myself that is such a hard thing to say and it literally takes every single day I read I meditate I do certain things in my morning ritual to constantly talk to myself nicer than I have for the last two and a half years.
0: And if only we could see in ourselves what others see in us.
1: Oh, that's my husband would love that. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's the thing too. It's like as much as you said with we want we want to empathize with each other. For sure. We want to be there and understand each other. But one thing I struggle with is not having the empathy I wish I had sometimes. For who? For people who haven't gone through this. I'll look at people. I would say that's one of my things. I, I, something I dislike about myself the most that I, would, I want to change and I'm going to change is I get jealous. Jealous. families that have all their kids it's it's not it's not money it's not looks it's not you have this or you have this it's you have all of your children you don't wake up every day or you don't go on a family trip and look in a car and you're missing someone it always feels like something's missing and so I just sometimes I wish when other people go through things maybe aren't as hard in my mind I could show that same empathy I don't want to be callous. I don't want to be well your life's not as hard as mine because it's not true okay
0: well what if it is though like I mean the, the thing is this you want to take the comparison out of your life yeah which is fantastic and wonderful and awesome and it shows how virtuous and wonderful you are as a human being right when in reality like your life is difficult and that's okay and you suffer and you wish things were different like other people do right Right. and and that's your battle that you fight every day you like you said I mean what you said I'm jealous of people who wake up in the morning and the first thought basically said the first thought of their head isn't, oh my gosh, I wish my daughter was here. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I can't even I can't even imagine what that's like it. I just I just I'm so sorry. I just, it just freaking sucks.
1: And that's the thing, it does suck. But if I can make myself focus on the good things that are going on in my life, mm-hmm. I'm okay.
0: Gratitude.
1: Like I have a great life. I have five other children that are amazing. I have the best kids. I have a husband who is awesome and we are best friends. Like we have a business that's thriving that we worked. We have so many things. If I can get myself to focus on that, I'm good. The second I let my mind wander and say, poor me, I don't have this. I'm missing this. It's going to be a rough day or a rough week or however long it is until I can pull myself out of that. And honestly, there are days that sometimes I want to just wallow and cry. And I've come to terms with the fact that that's okay. For Every sure. year on her angel nursery, we sit and cry. And I'm mad. And I'm sad and we do whatever we want to do that day. And on her birthday, I cry. And on certain other days of the if something happens, just a week and a half ago, I just was missing her and I went to her grave and I just sat and cried. But I'm learning, and this is I think the most important thing I've learned in all of this, is I'm learning to not let that day or that even you know couple hours turn into multiple days or a week or a month or you know almost a year that it was right after everything happened and that's what's making my life better and happier and more enjoyable. I think
0: what's difficult about suffering is that it I mean we can find the common humanity in suffering like we've been talking about really good that human beings in general suffer and that brings some comfort. What's kind of next level in suffering is understanding that it breeds meaning. And without it, finding meaning would be near impossible. Right? Um, one of my favorite quotes is by Nietzsche, the philosopher. And he said To live is to suffer, to survive is to find some meaning. And Nietzsche actually believed that happiness was what men claim that they want, but what they really want is to find meaning. And when we constantly reach for happiness and we forget about the fact that we find meaning in the most difficult things in our lives, we lose sight of what is most valuable. And I think you, you just kind of without knowing kind of to set that, like, the thing that brings you the most meaning, especially now, is your relationship with your children and your family and that's the thing that makes you most grateful and makes you understand that life is okay and you've lost someone deeply meaningful to you and you can go on still even though that loss has happened even though there are probably days where it feels like going on is not possible
1: yeah I think too One of the things I remember thinking when my mom died, my life was split into two, into two categories. It was before my mom died and after my mom died. My life was different. Before my mom died, in my mind, which, you know, obviously we all think growing up like it was roses and everything was wonderful. (laughs) But in my mind, it was. A great life you know I had all these siblings it was chaos and fun and crazy and my mom was amazing and cooked for us and cleaned for us and it was she was just incredible was PTA president and primary president she did everything and so after she died we never talked about her everything changed everyone it just was different everything was different so, when Bridie died, I was determined, and I still am, to not have, my, I don't want my kids to have before and after. Like, our family was awesome before Bridie died, and then it sucked. Or my mom was always, she was great or whatever before, and now she's always depressed. And I remember one day, after she passed away, I used to, I mean, I didn't do anything. I didn't leave my house. I didn't, I didn't get dressed. I would lay on the couch, Ripkin was two, and luckily a perfect baby. And we would just lay on the couch all day, watching TV, sleeping, just nothing, none. And I would, I guess I would constantly say, I don't totally remember, but I would constantly say, I wish I was dead, or I wanna die, all the time. And in my mind, I was just saying it in my head, I wasn't, vocalizing it and so I didn't think I was hurting my kids and I remember one day Hallie who was she's 16 she was 14 at the time and she turned and just yelled at me and she's like stop saying you want to die she's like well, you have five other kids you can't die and I was like oh my gosh wow you guys you you hear me I'm saying it and it from that point I promised myself I would not say out loud to my kids I want to and I tried really hard not even to think it anymore. Because it's true. It's That does suck. I lost my mom. It sucks. It's awful. I didn't want my kids. They already lost their sister. I didn't want them to lose their mom, too. And, you know, I might be physically there, but if I'm emotionally and not mentally there, it's the same thing as losing me. Mm-hmm. And so that was a huge, for me, transition in trying. I wasn't great after that, but I was, I remember really starting to try after that. Like, okay, these kids have to know that their life is not going to suck from now on, just because this happened. Because this awful thing happened, we are going to learn how to be better. We're going to learn how to come together as a family and get through this. And and part of that, I mean, honestly, a huge, the Bride and Day Foundation for us, that was Kevin. Like, the beginning stages of that, I don't take credit for, because I... Was barely surviving, and that's how Kevin found meaning. Mm. And it was awesome because for him, I remember he would he'd constantly be doing stuff and trying to get people to do things in Brighton's name because it it helped him. Cause he's like, okay, if people are doing kind things in my daughter's name, she's here. She's she'll she'll, she's on. a part of our life. Yeah. She'll never go away. Yeah. And I just didn't care at the t- at that time. I was like, I don't care. I don't care what other people do. I just want my daughter here. This doesn't fix anything. But as time went on, I started to realize what a huge thing that was. Not just for us, but for my kids, for my husband. Like, we all, you know, we go on family trips now, and we constantly take our Bride and Day cards with us, and we do things, because for us, it feels like she's still there.
0: Tell me about the Bride and Day cards real quick. What are
1: those? Uh, so we have these cards that we do that it tells her story. And it just anytime we go somewhere for us the idea is to pass pass it along right pass along kindness
0: pay it forward pay it forward yeah
1: yeah so if we're going through a drive-through or even um, over Christmas we went to Florida and anywhere we'd go to eat like at a restaurant we'd always either we try to like leave a big tip and leave a card like hey this we want to do something good and we're doing it in our daughter's name so you know who she is and the idea is that they will do it, pass it on as well that they'll pay it for so we tried to do which we'd like to do more of is for children, you know, other parents who have lost a child we'll do cards for them too in their child's name that they can do the same thing because that's a huge thing for anyone who's lost a child is you don't want them to ever be forgotten and by having these cards and continually putting goodness out there in their name, you feel like they'll always be here. They'll always be a part of this world just as much as your living children are.
0: And Kevin in the early stages of after Brady passed away, he was the one that really pushed that very hard as mm-hmm. far as like that's how he was able to find like some meaning in the suffering that he was experiencing when did it become something like I get that the Brighton Day cards were important for you but when did it become something that you pulled strength from at what point
1: Um, after about a year so I'd say the first year it was I I almost felt like it caused a little bit of contention between us <laughs> Kevin is a very um, social person he gets gains a lot of strength from you know, groups, friends, people around, and, and people supporting him with Bright a Day cards and posting things on our Facebook page for Bright a Day. And so that was huge for him. And for me, I, it wasn't helping. And so I was getting frustrated because I'm like, this is helping you. This is making you feel better. This isn't helping me. This isn't making me feel better. Like almost resentment. Like that's not fair. You found something. I have nothing. I feel like nothing's working for okay, me. And that
0: comparison coming up with what works for you, but this doesn't work for me. And that comparison drives all this animosity, animosity right? Mm-hmm. Contempt.
1: Yeah. And after a year, I feel like I started, and, and a lot of conversations with Kevin of why it makes him feel better, because I was like, I don't get it. I don't get why this makes you feel better. And then on her year... Her angeliversary, that first year after she passed, we had, we threw it out there to get people. This, yeah, this is exactly where it changed for me. We threw it out there to have people do a kind act on her birthday, or on her. It was on her birthday, so it was over a year. It was May, two thousand seventeen, and we had like two hundred people post or message us or text us or something saying they did a bright in a day that day or gave a card or did something. And it was so cool. I mean, it was such a hard day. And then it was amazing. And we sat around with our kids that night and read them to them and showed them to them. And they loved it. And they, it just brought like so much comfort to all of us that it was finally like that point of, oh, okay, I get it. And that's when I was felt like I can do this. I, I can help. <laughs> Have you looked
0: recently at how many followers Brian Day has?
1: No, I
0: haven't. I just looked. Um. 10,160. It's not a small thing.
1: <laughs> no. that's,
0: that's enormous. The reach, right? And like, you take the pebble in a pond analogy, right? You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Little pebble, giant ripples that flow forth. You're pebbling 10,000 people. Who knows how many hundreds of thousands of people are affected by the good that you guys do.
1: Yeah. And honestly, I think, like, I'm grateful that other people do it and that it, they continue to keep the movement going. But the biggest thing is, it's so awesome to have our kids be able to serve yeah. in that capacity. And they do it, they help us all the time. Anytime we need anything with Brighton a Day, we go do an event, we're doing a fundraiser, we're doing anything, they are all there doing it with us in Bridie's name and they they love it and it gets us all talking about her still all the time
0: so it almost preserves her memory and keeps her in your heart yeah as you take that find meaning you serve look for gratitude yeah those are important principles and it doesn't take away the suffering no no no
1: and it never will I think that's something that I That's didn't not the point, right? That's I, not the point. I didn't get that. I didn't get that because I can honestly say, when my mom passed away, it was hard, and I had hard days for a long time. But it it got so much easier. It was a, it was different, you know. It's like I got used to not having my mom around, and I had sisters, and I had a dad, and I had a stepmom, and it kind of all filled that void. There is no filling this void. There's no filling the void of losing a child. And so, I guess it's it's been okay. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with the fact that it's going to be hard forever. And it's never going to be easy. But, like I said, so I take my days. And I let them happen. And I sit there and I just... I I allow myself to be angry and hurt and everything. But, when I do that, it gives me... Multiple days after weeks, that I'm good. Like I am, I'm genuinely happy. A lot of days, there's still sucky days, yeah. <laughs> but I try to enjoy it. I tell Kevin, I'm like, as awful as it is losing Brady, I feel like I love my kids more because of it. Because I, I sit down and I play games with four-year-old. And I probably didn't do that before because I'm busy. Life's crazy. You know? I try to sit and talk to my older kids at night at two in the morning when I want to go to bed and they want to sit up and talk. And I enjoy it. And I try to, we do more family trips and more family days than we ever did before. Because I don't know what happens next. I don't know when, if, how I'm going to see her but I know I've got this now and I'm going to enjoy what I can from it as much as I can
0: that's amazing
1: you're incredible you know me well enough to know know there are some days that is not true
0: (laughs) however in this moment I feel that deeply and I see your your genuineness and your authenticity and who, who you are and, and I watch you live your life and it inspires a lot of people and it, it, these words that you're saying, right, like hopefully it's reaching people listening to this I feel it as I sit here with you and I watch you and as we've become very close friends I know that's true for you and you live that every day and it's, it's incredible to be witness to, it really is thank you you change a lot of people's lives I don't think you realize it but you do and hopefully
1: and I want I mean that's honestly the biggest reason why I agreed to do this with you is I'm not always the most social and talker but it is really important to me especially after just some of the things we've gone through if I can do anything that helps other people get through this life easier, better, I don't know, any anything that makes their life, gives them a tool of any sort, I'm in. I'll do it. Because I know it sucks, and I don't want to do it by myself, and I hope that nobody has to ever do it by themselves. And so if there's any bit of knowledge from the crap I've been through, I, I'm there. I'll do it.
0: Speaking of your knowledge,
1: mm-hmm.
0: let's uh, hit up some questions. Is that okay? We've answered yes. actually a lot. I was going to say, through. I tried to
1: think of some of the ones that were yeah. in my head. <laughs> One
0: of the ones that I really loved that I think you could do well with is from my friend Robbie. Oh, Robbie Law. What's Robbie. up, Robbie? Hopefully you're listening to this. He writes, I often wonder when someone goes through tragedy how much distance I should give them. My involvement feels less important in most situations than the immediate family. In some cases, family feels too overwhelming. In some cultures, it seems like it would be pretty easy to get overwhelmed with, quote, love, unquote, when we are suffering. Who should we suffer with? Or maybe my question to someone who has suffered might be, how do you tell those that want to show love but actually make it harder to just back off? That's a good question. That's a really good question. That's hard to do. I'm going to
1: tell you just a little story of... We have these friends that you, Robbie, you know, Matt, you know, the Smiths. Yeah. yeah. So these friends, Parker and Terrell. When Bridie passed away, we've been friends. We've been friends for almost 20 years now, but we hadn't been close friends for a long time. We hadn't lived by them for a long time. We hadn't seen them. Um just hadn't been as involved with them. And when Bridie died, sh- they showed up constantly. Not maybe every day but regularly they would show up. They came over, Terrell came over for the funeral and did all my girl's hair, cut all my boy's hair. She said, I, I wanna, she was a hairdresser She said, I wanna do everyone's hair. Okay, she did that. And then they'd show up just on nights, just randomly. Just show up at her house, bring dinner. Come, they would bring their kids who were the same age as our kids and that, would completely entertain them, keep their minds off of what was going on. They did not stop showing up, and they have not yet stopped showing up. They live an hour away from us, and they come see us all the time. And if they're not coming to see us, they're checking in on us. So in that aspect, you think, oh, well, I'm not family, maybe I'm not as important. Right. Our friends have become just as important a lot of our family to us because they've been there and we've had family be there too i'm not saying that that's not the case but i'm just saying you know friends friends are important and if you're close in any way or if you want to be close there's no better way than to show up you don't need to stick around for hours and hours but the constant being there for me was huge like i said i had friends who literally would come in, drop off donuts for my kids for breakfast, clean my dishes, and leave before I even woke up. all Every day. Like, they would just make sure we were taken care of. And this happened, I mean, years. Kevin has an Aunt Chris who I adore, who has brought us donuts, like, once a week for the last two and a half years. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. She's the sweetest really lady. Cool. And my kids, it's... I mean, it's donuts. It's like, big deal, right? But my kids but have meaningful. loved it. Yeah. Like, to them, they're like, and she doesn't stay alone. She drops them off. How are you doing? Gives us hugs and leaves. But it's something my kids, For and, you know, now it's, it's. I can honestly say it's not as big of a deal. They're doing great. My kids, I feel, feel like, are really well-adjusted now. But Gosh, those first couple of years, to have something to look forward to all the time was amazing. So be that person. If you don't want to be the one that's maybe there suffering, if that's something you're not in a place you can handle, be that person that drops off some donuts to the kids once a week or that shows up with, you know, our friends Dan and Susie used to bring ice cream regularly. <laughs> we gained a lot of weight that first year. <laughs> but they would just show up with candy or treats for our kids because, you know, sometimes you just need something to take your mind off, something, like I said, something to look forward to. So that was super helpful. Telling someone to back off is not my expertise. I People just know because I get really ornery, I guess. But
0: I, I have an idea of how to tell people to back off.
1: Please. I need to know this. Uh,
0: <laughs> this may come off as brutal and harsh, but just tell them to back off. <laughs> you have every right in your suffering to tell someone to back off. That is a very appropriate and healthy boundary. And if you were to say to me close friend, person, hey, I need some space right now. 100%, 150%, I would be like, I totally get it. I'll talk to you later. Let me know when you're ready to talk or would you want me to reach out again? Yeah. Right? It's on the people who are assisting in the suffering to be mindful of that as well as if you are suffering, feel comfortable saying enough is enough. I'm okay. I got it from here. Because sometimes the over-helping sends the message that you're incapable of dealing with yes, your suffering. Yes, Right?
1: And that does get hard. Oh, for sure. Because you want... <clears throat> I remember getting to a point where I'm like, I want to be the mom again. I'm ready to be the mom again. That doesn't mean I want you to never call me or text me or show up and, you know, be done. But let me let me take care of my house. Let me I'm going to feed my kids breakfast in the morning. And I did get to that point. And luckily, I feel like I was... The people that were doing that were really great in recognizing that. But I would say I had people who um, were, I don't know if offended is the right word, but took my, you know, hateful, negative, just energy, and then left. And never got a text, call anything again. And the reality was, they're like, oh, I thought, You were mad at me. It's like, no, I'm just mad at the world. It's it's not not you specifically.
0: It's just (laughs) uh, everything sucks. You're a part of everything, so you get to take the brunt of it. Sorry. You want to be close? Get ready to suffer with me.
1: Yes. And it's just like, even if someone tells you to back off, back off and then send a text. Mm
0: -hmm. Say, can I come over? That's a really great boundary.
1: Yeah, because then at least they know, okay, they do give a crap, Hmm. but they're trying to respect the boundaries I'm trying to set. So I
0: think that's important. Love that. Love that. Next question. Eli Gardine writes, what are some things that help you bring a sense of order to the chaos brought to you through your suffering? Where do you feel you have changed the most? What is the best advice you can give to someone who might similarly be suffering? There's a lot there. Pick and choose. You pick one. You want to answer? Oh, my
1: gosh. Um, sense of order to the chaos I would say that's probably the brightening foundation for us.
0: Mm, so, so the meaning.
1: I remember talking a lot to Kevin and saying, he's kind of my sounding board. And, um, he'd always say, I'm, I'm like, it's not fair. Why did this happen to us? Why? I'm, I'm a good mom. Why did this happen to me? And he'd say, like, or I said, what's the meat? Like, what's the purpose in all of this? And he'd say, what if there's not a purpose? We need to make a purpose. And so he'd always, and he still says that you can't always assume there's a purpose in line. So we have to figure out a purpose and move that forward. Oh,
0: I freaking love that because that is like taking the power back, right? Like you Mm -hmm. feel so powerless, but in that moment of no matter what the tragedy is, I mean, unspeakable tragedy you've been through, you're able to look into that tragedy and say, I can take back meaning." I can make meaning out of this. I am powerful enough to do that. Mm-hmm. That's huge.
1: Because if you don't, and if you do pe- feel powerless, then you live in fear, with anxiety, with all these things forever. If I don't have some type of power in my life or control in my life, and that's what that has done for us. <clears throat> Next
0: question is actually from my brother, Ryan. <coughs> <clears throat> Thanks, Ryan for checking in with us. It says we all know there is strength in others but why do we choose to, to silently suffer so often?
1: I saw this one um smart think,
0: kid, he's got good geniuses that one
1: I saw this one, I, I've actually thought about it since I've seen it I think out of fear, I think 100% a lot of it's hard to be vulnerable even in your worst moments, in the time that in your mind, you're like, I know I need to be surrounded by people. You, It's a vulnerability to say, hey, I need you guys here. You need to be here with me. That's tough. And I'm, I have not been good at it. And it's, I'm working on it. Yeah. But I think that's the biggest thing. I think being vulnerable is scary to everybody.
0: Yeah. It's, it's about fear, 100%.
1: And you're afraid, okay, so say people say you do call people over and you're like, hey, I need you guys here. I need you to be here. Well, then they come and you're crying and you're upset or you're miserable to be around. Talk
0: about vulnerability.
1: Then you feel guilt and regret because you're like, oh my gosh, they all came over for me and look what I did.
0: It's all about me. I'm a selfish, blah, blah, blah. Which
1: sucks. So honestly, I think the best thing we have done is surround ourselves with people that we are feel the most comfortable being vulnerable around. Because I know on Bride's Angel Orchery, when I invite people over or when I'm around my family at the cemetery or around friends in the evening or whatever, I know I can sit and cry and be as mad or be whatever I want to be. And nobody cares. <clears throat> And nobody thinks any less of me. I know that. And that's created a huge comfort for me on those days.
0: And, and you say nobody cares, but I think, and maybe I'm going to speak for you for a second, tell me if this, is, if this is true or not. It's not that nobody cares. It's that they don't judge, and you know they're not going to judge, and they're going to accept you at your most vulnerable.
1: Yeah. They exactly. do
0: care all <laughs> a lot. Yes. But they don't care if you cry.
1: Says, and they'll still call me to hang out on the weekend or call me over for family dinner because they know that as miserable as I was, and I may be miserable the next time they see me, they love me. So they don't, they're okay with it. Yeah.
0: My favorite vulnerability phrase is, be scared and do it anyway.
1: Love Renee Brown. Of course it is. <laughs> I love her. She's the best.
0: Be scared to do it anyway. You can't
1: beat that. I know. Because
0: and you're scared all the freaking time.
1: About everything. But fear
0: is a part of life. We have to be afraid. That's how our brains are programmed. Right? We are programmed to live off of fear. Our brain is this primitive organism that has been around for 2 million years. And it is programmed to keep us alive. And that is its primary function. It doesn't care if we're happy. It doesn't care if we thrive. It just doesn't want us to die. And guess what is the thing that says you're gonna die the quickest? Uh, Fear. And guess what vulnerability brings? Fear. So when I'm vulnerable, that primitive old, old, old part of my brain says, hey, you're gonna die. And I'm not being overly exaggerated. I, here. I agree
1: it, with this. It
0: literally says you're going to die. And you have to override that primitive belief that you have in your brain that you're going to die if you're vulnerable and say, no, when I'm vulnerable, that's when I find connection. That's oh, hard.
1: And 100%, I would say that's how we have connected with certain people. I, I mean, my relationships have either flourished or dropped in the last two and a half years because it's either those people I can be vulnerable around and the people I've allowed myself to be that way around they all you do is build and build and build on that relationship because if you can be who you are around this, whoever, the people you decide to choose that's huge yeah. if you don't have to fake it, if you don't have to change, if you don't have to play a different role you get to just be you that's huge and so that's the thing if but the problem is no one's going to be vulnerable unless it's reciprocated you're just not you have to feel like okay i threw this out there i'm letting you be here on my day you better give me something back you better let me be there for you too otherwise it doesn't work
0: i love it, I love it think we've answered all the questions okay so we were we don't know where we were because it kind of got cut off this is episode one people bear with us we'll get all the kinks worked out bottom line is what what do you think let's wrap this up with maybe some take-homes for uh, take listeners here what what's for you after this hour of speaking what's the biggest take-home
1: Um, I'm going to give three things for one grief and dealing with death of a loved one never ends don't expect it to end don't tell people to move on just let let people grieve two probably the most important thing of knowing, loving, being with someone is to just show up Show up and show up often, whether it's a text, a call, dropping by cookies, dropping random acts of kindness that show someone you are loving them and thinking of them. Huge.
0: Bumper sticker hashtag. Just drop off donuts. Just drop off. Donuts. <laughs> Love it. That's awesome.
1: Um, and I have a third one. Oh, number three, gratitude. You find, no matter how sucky life gets or how hard things can be, and it doesn't have to be right away, you find those things that make you happy and that you recognize the good in your life and you will always have a good life. That's it.
0: Couldn't have said it better. Couldn't have said it better. Amazing.
1: If you listened this whole time, good job. Yeah,
0: right? (laughs) I love it. Um, If you can, go... Onto the Brighten a Day Facebook page. Give it a like if you already haven't. And even more would be to go out and do a kind act in Bridie's name. Yep. And to post a comment on the Brighten a Day Facebook page. It provides incredible strength to the 10,000 people that follow the Brighten a Day movement. As well, if you want to connect with me, um, you can check me out on Facebook, Matt Quackenbush, MSW. And I'm also on um, the Instagrams at Matt Quackenbush, or Matt underscore Quackenbush. Feel free to DM me. I would love to answer any of your questions uh, pretty soon. We'll be starting a podcast Facebook page. we got all sorts of fun stuff in the works. Yes, so we are going to have great.
1: all the things you need to help your life and make it better.
0: Yeah. It's great. Yep. We're excited about this. We also really want your feedback. We want to know what you want to learn about. We have a bunch of ideas, right? Yeah. Uh, we have a couple people that I already have lined up. One, I have a doctor who specializes in post-traumatic stress disorder. She is absolutely amazing, one of the foremost researchers and experts in that area. I have a police officer who works in child sex crimes. ...who's going to come on. We're going to interview him. He's going to talk about his life and what it's like to deal with that side of things. I have a therapist who is an expert in relationships and, most importantly, sex.
1: Yes. It's my favorite subject. We're
0: going to have a fun episode. That episode will be super awesome. Don't bring the kids to that one. That's (laughs) going to be a great episode. Um, I have a Green Beret who's possibly going to come on and talk about his experiences overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan and PTSD... Bethany has a bunch of people. Kevin does. If you want to come on the podcast and be a guest, reach out. We're hoping to make this thing pretty big yes. and reach a lot of people. That's kind of the goal.
1: We want to hit all aspects of life that can, so that way we can help everybody. Everybody's got something going on, some issue that they're dealing with, and we want to make sure that we can be of help to everybody. Awesome. Well, Thank you.
0: to my friend and co-host, you are incredible. Thank you. you. That was wonderful. Super fun. I really enjoyed it. And to all our listeners out there, thank you for listening.
1: Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome.
0: See you next time.